happy Advent. Happy New Year. No, I haven't gone mad. I haven't gone mad. This is the first day of the Christian calendar. This is the beginning of the church's year, Advent Sunday. So I'm well within my rights to wish you a very happy new year at this point. So it's the beginning of Advent. These are the four weeks that lead us up to Christmas. And Advent means coming. And it's a season of waiting and expectation as we look forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus and beyond. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not really a very good waiter. I'm not good at waiting. And I think the problem is, most of the time now, we don't have to wait. Generally, you can click, swipe, and whatever you need, you can pretty much get in that way. We don't need to wait for an episode or something. Am I the only one who waited a very long time to find out who shot JR in Dallas? It was agonizing. We just binge now, right? We don't need to wait for anything. And when we do have to wait for something, I don't know how we find that, but I find sometimes it kind of brings out the worst in us. A bit of judgmentalism, a bit of frustration, Um, I had to wait at the post office queue this week for 20 minutes. I think I saw some of you in there as well. We were sort of painfully smiling at each other. And um, gosh, it was agony. It felt like ages. Made worse by the fact I'm standing along this row of chocolate. Christmas chocolate was all there. So it wasn't good. And, uh, you know, it kind of brings out the the worst, really, because, you know, somebody had about 10 parcels in front of me. And I'm like, seriously? Did you have to bring 10 parcels? Of course you would. Why would you only queue more than once? But it's hard. We're not used to having to wait. There can also be times where waiting is really hard. If you're waiting for test results, exam results, that can bring about real anxiety and fear. But then there is waiting in hope. Now, if you've had children or you still operate like this, you may well be used to waiting in terms of counting down the sleeps. I think some of us have done that. And I wonder how many of us are sort of figuratively counting down the sleeps to Christmas. Perhaps a bit exhausted, exhausted from work, things at home, tired from school, and looking forward, waiting in hope for a good break and some time to switch off and be with family and friends. 22 sleeps is what we're waiting, and that might feel like a bit of a long time at the moment. But I can tell you that was absolutely nothing compared to the wait the people of Israel had for that first Christmas. Because in fact, they had to wait 255,500 sleeps, about 700 years for the birth of Christ, the prophecy to be foretold. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Many generations passed over those 700 years and yet the people held on to the hope that God would fulfill his promise of the Messiah, God in human form, Jesus and fulfill it, he did. So compared to that, us waiting for 22 sleeps, even as adults, is nothing. 
But this season of Advent is not just about looking back to the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago. It's also about living in the present, shaped by the fact that God did come and dwell among us. And also, it's about looking forward to Jesus' second Advent, his return, which is the focus of our Bible passage today. Once Jesus had been raised from the dead, was resurrected and ascended to heaven, the disciples were told, this same Jesus will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The Christians look forward, all of us do, to Jesus returning as was promised. But now we're at 730,000 sleeps since that promise was made. So what are we waiting for, and why should it matter to us here in 2023? So let's dive into this passage, have a look at what will Jesus' return look like, what's it all about, and then think about how should we live in the light of this promise? What does it mean for us to wait with hope? So, if you've got the uh, passage open, you might have on an app or uh, in a Bible, uh, let me just kind of take us and give us some context to this. We've got Jesus here talking to his disciples about the signs of the end times, and he's specifically answering a question that they asked him in verse 4. They said to him, tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the signs that they are to be fulfilled? Now, if you want to fill the gap at some point and read between verses 4 and 24, where we start tonight, you will read some signs that are pretty real right now. Famines, earthquakes, nations rising against nation. And then we get to the opening verse that we had here. Jesus says, following that distress, dot, dot, dot. And here is what we know about the second advent. Firstly, Jesus' return will be visible. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. There will be no doubt what's happening. Secondly, Jesus' return will be glorious. It says, the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. The Son of Man is the name that Jesus uses for himself, and it's only used by him. And thirdly, Jesus' return will be sudden. Going back to having all your answers at uh, the touch of a button or a swipe, I did what we do in every aspect of life these days. I googled. I typed in, when will Jesus come back? I got 507 million results, and yet I know that none of them have the answer to that question. What I did find out about, however, was the return of Gabriel Jesus, Arsenal player, I think he's been injured a bit. Well, it was good to find out about that, but I didn't find out about when Jesus is coming back. Because, though there will be signs that we can be watchful for, We won't know when exactly it will happen. We're not supposed to know. And you know what? We don't have to know. Because it even says Jesus doesn't know in the passage. 
Instead, all we are asked to do is trust in God's perfect timing. So Jesus' return will be visible, it'll be glorious, it'll be sudden. And fourthly, Jesus' return will simply be. Because God is faithful and trustworthy. Verse 31 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So we can be certain that Jesus will come again, because it's written in the Bible, even if we don't know exactly when that will be. And what is this return of Jesus all about? Well, first and foremost, this is absolutely not like the TARDIS and the regeneration of Doctor Who. Now, I know that has been very exciting for Doctor Who fans this week. This will be infinitely more exciting. But quite simply, it's about God making all things right once and for all. And in fact, it's, it's more than right. It's perfect. It's eternal. And it's all as he planned it at the beginning. Because if we go back to the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, we read that God created the heavens and the earth and all living things. And he was so pleased. He was happy with everything. He was in a perfect relationship with his created world. And then sin crept in, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And since then, the world has been in this constant wrestle between good and evil. Creation gave way to decreation as humanity rejected God's sovereignty and chose to become Lord of the world themselves. But God's perfect plan is one of recreation. Jesus' return will be the full restoration of creation and his relationship with it, full and final victory over sin and death. And those who know and love Jesus will live in relationship, in eternity with him. So that was the beginning of the Bible. Let's go to the very end of the Bible in Revelation, because it explains what this will look like. In Revelation chapter 22, it says this, No longer will there be any curse, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. So take that passage and that picture of light with the one that we had in our reading tonight about no light, no sun, etc. And I'm giving this picture, and imagine this for yourselves, of us being in a theatre. There's a packed audience, and there's a buzz as people are settling into their seats. Some are busy chatting or reading a programme. Others are looking at the final preparations that are being made on stage. The sun and moon darkening are like the lights being lowered drawing everyone to silence, to focus on the stage. And then, the curtains open as Christ returns, the lights are raised, and the heavenly show begins. Eden, that place of delight, is restored. 
And I think that how we all live now is like that pre-curtain rising moment. We know there's a wonderful performance to come. Some are in their seats, looking at the stage, waiting for it. Others are just a bit distracted and getting comfortable and not focusing on what's going on around them. God is the stage manager. He will lift the curtain and heaven will come down to us. So how do we respond to this passage? I think we need to understand that this teaching is not just a sort of picture of the end times. Anybody got one of those pictures that you chuck in a sort of small corner of your house on the wall and actually you haven't really looked at it for months? It's not something for us to just think about in the future. This is an invitation for us now to live lives of hope and anticipation, to live a life of attentiveness to the way in which God is already active in the world and in our own everyday lives. And it's about living a life of expectation about that perfect recreation that God has planned. Because we don't know how many more sleeps we have to wait for this promise to be fulfilled. Time is very elastic. Things can drag, things can go in a flash, but life itself is very short, and we should live each day looking forward to Jesus' return. So what does it mean for us to watch, for wait for Christ's coming in hope? Well, let's complete the sentence. You know you're getting old when? Don't need to tell me. You don't need to tell me. Let me tell you, for me, that sentence was completed with... You need a pair of very focals. I don't know if I'm the only one with very focals, but let me tell you, I've spent this week riding the high seas. You know, I'm trying to be a nodding dog, and where is everything? My, my keyboard was moving at one point this week. It was a bit freaky. But now, the waves have settled, and I can honestly say my vision has been transformed. There is no more taking my specs off to actually see something, which is weird. I no longer have another pair on my head to swap to. If I need to look close, I can see. If I need to look in the distance, I can see. And I think these new specs, for me, cast vision, and pardon the pun, um, on how we need to wait in hope. Because we need to look through different lenses at once. We need to look to the past, to God's faithfulness in coming to earth as a human being and dying for us. We need to look attentively, close up now, to see how God is present and active in the midst of life. And we need to look forward, trusting in God's final redemptive plan and that this life is not the end because there's so much more, way beyond our imagination, to come. So how? How do we wait with hope with this multivision? Well, to quote a famous book title, I think we need to do three things. Eat, pray, love. And let me share what I mean with the help of the Apostle Peter. We need to eat. And by that, I mean we need to feed our faith 2 Peter 1 verse 5 says this, Make every effort to add to your faith. Goodness, knowledge, perseverance, there's a list. It goes on, and it's quite a list. 
But what it really means is we need to nourish ourselves. We need to fuel our spiritual growth. We need to continually deepen our relationship with Jesus and with each other as the family of God. And where better than new wine? Just a plug there. And one of the best ways to eat and be fed and nourished is quite simply to read our Bibles. And I wonder if perhaps this Advent season, we can just make some deliberate time to do more of that. Perhaps take a gospel and just read a little bit day by day to draw closer to Jesus and just reabsorb his words, his actions, and his promises. So we need to eat. Secondly, we need to pray. And we need to pray big. Come, Lord Jesus, your kingdom come. And I am challenged by that every day, really, because whilst I love the Lord and spend time with him each day, so many of my prayers are little, little shopping lists, little minute prayers about the things that are going on in my day, etc. Even those prayers for the world are kind of immediate prayers. We need to pray bigger prayers, big picture prayers, and trust in our almighty God to fulfill this promise. Because Jesus' second advent is at the heart of our faith. When we say the Nicene Creed, for example, we say, he will come again. We shared communion together last week, and we say, Christ will come again. And we affirm it, but I wonder how we really feel about that from our personal perspective. How do we feel? Are we a bit fearful? It's going to be sort of all guns blazing. How do we feel about that? Maybe we don't fit. We feel we're going to be sort of match fit for the second coming. Maybe we're a bit indifferent. Well, it hasn't happened in 2,000 years. Is it going to happen? Or is it just that everyday life takes precedence? And in this world that so often distracts us with its noise and busyness, these words from Jesus are just a reminder to remain spiritually vigilant. We are to keep watch. And one of the best ways we can do that is to pray. And as we celebrate the first coming, let's be expectant and watchful and pray for the second. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, I understand that maybe for some, life's busyness at the moment is really all-consuming. And actually, the life we're living right now is in sharpest focus, completely understandably. And for whatever reason, can I just encourage you, if that's the case, to keep praying, come, Lord Jesus, into the midst of whatever struggles and challenges are in full focus right now. Because we've talked about being watchful and watching for him, but we just need to be so encouraged that Jesus is always watching us and longs to meet us wherever we're at, whatever we're facing. And when things are good, we should still pray, come Lord Jesus, into the everyday. Come Lord Jesus, into this work meeting. Come Lord Jesus, into this school day. Come Lord Jesus, into this social activity. Come Lord Jesus, into my home life. 1 Peter 4 verse 7 says this, Everything in the world is about to be wrapped up, so take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. 
And there's the third thing that we need to do as we wait in hope for Jesus' return. We need to love, and we need to love others. Because this passage isn't just a kind of call to believe in the return, but it's a call to act in response to it and in hope of it. Because part of the reason we're still waiting for Jesus to return is because he wants to invite everyone, everyone to eternity. We are all on the guest list. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And to fulfill this, Peter writes that we should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the reason for the hope that we have. The best way to love others is to introduce them to Jesus, to live out his life, his love in our lives, and to tell others about it, to share our story of faith. And this season gives us so many opportunities to spend quality time with friends and family. So let's share the reason for the season, the Christ in Christmas, as the greatest gift that anyone can receive. We're all invited to draw near to the manger and celebrate the birth of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. We're all invited to be watchful and attentive to all that God is doing in our lives and in the world today, and to tell others of his love. And we're all called to wait in hope for Christ's return. Watch and wait. Eat Pray, love. As I finish, and talking of waiting, the Christmas tree went up today in our house. I can't tell you, um, Nick might disagree, but I love the sense of anticipation that fills our house once the decorations boxes come down from the loft. That's his job, it takes a bit of a while. I just get excited at the bottom of the ladder. My kids will tell you that I've pretty much been waiting through the sleeps of November for this moment. So we're great. We've had about four hours of Christmas tunes in our house. It's been wonderful. The next 22 sleeps for me will be equally as long as the sleeps of November. As we all enter now into this season of Advent, we look ahead to celebrating together the birth of Jesus. And when the decorations come down, Let's keep looking ahead to Jesus' second advent, when God's redemption plan for the world will be fully complete. We are encouraged to not anchor our hope in the things of this world, but in the promise of Christ's return. So let's wait with hope, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, even in the busyness of our everyday lives, because the best is yet to come. As I close, let me just pray a prayer from Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.